Don't ever tell anybody anything. If you do, you start missing everybody. Welcome to Band Book Club. We're your hosts, Rafaela, Nick, and Nicolas. Well, Nick, we're doing one of your favorite novels of all time, Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Phonies. <laughs> the phonies, man. Yep. Well, we had to do this one. It's definitely one of the most banned books, but, you know, it kind of reminds me of that South Park episode where they all get really excited to read it because they know it's banned, but then there's not really a lot of terrible things in the book. Um, that was exactly my experience in, <laughs> in, I think, high school or middle school when we had to read it. I was expecting I know, blood I was expecting something horrible. prostitutes. There is a prostitute, but <laughs> blood gore. But really, and I don't want to get into this now, but it was all I got from this book was just a guy wandering around talking about how lame he is. Of course, that's not really fair. I mean, it's it's a great book, I think, in a lot of ways, but I mean... I know Nicola loved it, and you did too. But what what's it I'm, about? I'm mixed about it. I like it, but there are other books that are in this style with a character that's what's the word? It's an it's a German word, Bild, Bildungsroman. Yeah. So I prefer other books that have that sort of character compared to Catcher in the Rye. I think this book has very technical stuff, and I'm talking about all the details that the writer put in. Oh yeah, it's it's a masterfully written book. I don't think anything in here is an accident, and and very simple written too. Yeah, like for my English, uh, <laughs> it was it was very easy to read, and yeah. um, I got actually a lot of uh, details out of it. Uh, things that the writer was hiding between the lines, kind of thing. Well, before we get into why it was banned, the real reason, um, J.D. Salinger is a very interesting man. Um, First of all, for him writing this book, Holden Caulfield is a 16-year-old boy, but Salinger was in his 40s when he was writing the book. He actually fought in World War II. He had a lot of horrible things that he witnessed. And actually, right after he returned home, he had to be checked into a mental hospital which is kind of interesting because that's how the book kind of opens up. It doesn't really outright say that Holden is in a mental hospital, but it does say that he has been... He's had a breakdown. He's had a breakdown. And he's in some sort of clinic, and he's, he's explaining writing, to you how he got there. Yeah. So the whole book is written from Holden Caulfield's but perspective. Before we move on from J.D. Salinger, maybe we'll come back to him, but to say that he fought in World War II is kind of an understatement because... A lot of people were in World War II, especially writers from his era, and they wrote about World War II, but none of them experienced war probably to the extent that Salinger did. He was in almost every major conflict in World War II. He was in the Battle of the Bulge. He was in Normandy Beach. He liberated concentration camps. So he really saw the horrors of World War II, probably more than any other author from that time. And it's interesting because instead of trying to write about that, he writes a book about a mildly neurotic 16, 17-year-old kid who is just walking around and complaining about things. 
And I think it was captured uh, very well from him, even though he was 50 years old when he wrote it. Yeah. He, he's, he actually was writing it while he was in World War II. He had pages on him. So he was already writing it while in battle. So that's also, to me, kind of interesting that he was having the, these ideas. I think it has to do with, uh, I mean, if you look at Holden in the book, his motivation, the thing that drives him is he's looking for, he thinks everybody's phony, everything is not real and fake and inauthentic. Well, specifically and, adults. Yeah, specifically adults, adult world. And he's looking for this kind of innocence that he ch- keeps trying to find and everything. And I think that's interesting that a guy who went through all this horror and war and battle would write a book about somebody, a little kid who's just looking for something innocent again. Well, just to give you a little background to the book in case you haven't heard of Catcher in the Rye or never had to read it in school. It's about a 16-year-old who is on Christmas break and he's not allowed back into his school because he failed all the classics except English for some reason. He did not fail English class and he's just really upset and angry and rebellious and he's just talking about how annoying it is that he you know, how much he hates school, how much he hates his peers and adults and just the fact that he has to grow up. <laughs> if you've ever spent five minutes like riding in the back seat of a car with a teenager, you know, just typical like angry, confused, insecure teenager, then that's the person you're going to be spending this whole book with, <laughs> which I mean, you guys ended up liking. So well, what was your first thought? I, I did enjoy the book in general. Uh, I enjoyed the character, uh, Holden. The only thing that I, I totally understand is why you don't like it because he's a boring character. And from the things that he does, and he doesn't take initiative for anything. Uh, so I get it. But as a book and as a character, I think it was a very beautiful book. I think it's worth mentioning too that you know, you're not just watching Holden go from room to room or walking around New York from a third person perspective. You're in his head. Yeah, in his mind. Yeah. And one of the things that's so innovative about the book is he really, Salinger really captures what it's like to be in the brain of a... Yeah, 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And you hear all of Holden's thoughts. I mean, more thoughts maybe than... You wanted. <laughs> any other like first person narrator yeah, it's it's totally written in a passive voice. He says sort of 179 times in the book. He talks like a total teenager. And he I, even admits that he's not good at speaking mm-hmm. and not good with English. And Salinger goes out of his way to make the sentences kind of bumbling and, um, I don't know, not super sharp. It's very stream of consciousness. He's just yeah. blah, 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 blah. he's just saying everything that comes to mind. But it's interesting because even though the sentences technically aren't well constructed, even from like a, a creative writing standpoint, they're in passive voice, which is usually mm-hmm. a no-no. But even with that, you still get so much feeling and good information from the narrator, which is one thing I, I'll agree with you, Nicola, that I thought was very interesting about Holden. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Before we continue, a quick interruption. Want to purchase the book we're discussing in this episode? Well, check out Bookshop. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. As more and more people buy their books online, Bookshop has created an easy, convenient way for you to get your books and support bookstores at the same time. Bookshop will give away over 75% of their profit margin to stores, publications, and authors. If you want to shop the books we've covered on the podcast, visit the link down below in the description. We do receive a small commission based on sales, so thank you for all your support of our channel and podcast. I, you know, when you look up this book and you read people's reviews, it's very mixed. I mean, some people really love this book. Some people really hate this book, this character. And I think it really depends on when you read this book, because when I first read it, I mean, I was young. I was in high school and I thought it was really cool. And I was like, yeah, oh, my God. Yes, Holden, you're right. And now that I'm older, I look back on that character, how I was when I was a teenager. And it's like, oh, shut up, like grow (laughs) up, grow up, like do something about it. Then like you hate it so much or you hate those people and do something, do something with your life. But I get it. I get that feeling that he has wanting to hold on to his childhood. But I mean, we can get into that. I think as a 31 year old that I am, I actually connected a lot with the character. (laughs) That's because you're a child at heart. Yeah, maybe that's why. (laughs) But no, I did, I did. I, I, I remember like back then how you see the world when you're 16, 17. And uh, it's pretty much, uh, he nailed it. Well, I'm happy to dive right in. Um, I think one, reason why i have that feeling now looking back at holden and like the you know dude grow up is when you're that young i mean you believe in everything you believe in fairy tales you trust people a lot you expect so many good things to come out of the world but then when you're actually growing up and nothing is as it seems you develop this hardness about you you're cynical you I mean, you already know what the world is like, and so it doesn't bother you as much. And to see Holden so bothered by and like, oh, you know, whining all the time, it just, you're like, oh, dude, seriously, all that you're thinking of, nothing's going to get better. The world sucks. Everything is doomed. Grow up. But I appreciate that he wants to hold on to that light. The innocence. The innocence, you know, but... Now that you're older, you're like, dude, seriously, nothing's going to change. It actually gets worse. <laughs> and I think it's normal for a, a grown-up to sit back and, and, and see how he was acting. And uh, later on, you mellow out. You realize, yes, that nothing will really change. And then you don't really pay attention to that stuff anymore. And that's how we change through, like, growing up. I think Holden, though, is a bit more complex than just a typical self-centered teenager i mean you get a ton of the self-centeredness like he's telling you every single thing that bothered him and you do get that feeling like yeah just get over it you know grow up but he also notices a lot of things that maybe even a more sensitive adult wouldn't notice like the ducks or um you know the cannon that's by his school or could you you I think you remember the part about the ducks better than me. Can you just go over that really quick cuz I think that shows a lot about what's really going on underneath as a character yeah. for him. So 
he obviously mentions a lot of things that bothers him, but some of the questions he asks and he asks adults or he says out in his head, well, he's traveling through the city and he's in the car with a cab driver. And, you know, this guy's obviously an older gentleman and hardened by the world, probably. And he's just asking him, do you know where the ducks go in winter? Because the lake freezes over. So he's just wondering, like, where do these ducks go? And the guy is just like really annoyed by him saying, I don't know. They probably just go somewhere else. And Holden's just trying to figure out, but he where? Doesn't care at all. And he doesn't care at all. Like, that's just not something that an adult would ever think of. Um, but how I took him wanting to know where the ducks were was that, you know, it would be comforting to Holden to know do the ducks have a place to go when the lake freezes over? He wants to accept that change and he has a hard time understanding that they do go somewhere else and that there is some kind of light at the end of the tunnel for these ducks. I but, think I think he's talking about himself on that point. Mm-hmm. He's talking about because he's lonely and he doesn't want to admit that, that he's so lonely. And he, you can see from a previous scene that he he got in a phone booth and he was trying to call someone, but at the end he found all the, all those kind of excuses not to call anybody. But on the ducks, I think he was talking about himself. Yeah, like how how lonely he is, and he doesn't have to go anywhere. He doesn't he doesn't have a place to go to. He wants to stay where he is, and knowing that one day you know he is going to be like the ducks, like the lake's going to freeze over. He's not going to be a kid anymore. He's almost wondering, am I going to be okay Also, when I, get older? I would like to stay in that scene because he afterwards asked the cab driver to join him for a drink. Yeah. That again shows how lonely he was and he wanted a friend. He wanted to talk to someone. And of course, the cab driver refused and um, he just continued his lonely night. Yeah. He just labeled him as a phony. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that... I know it bothers you about Holden and it bothers a lot of people is Holden describes himself as being pretty introverted and talking about how much he hates people. But then he talks so much to people, to strangers. You know, he really goes out of his way to talk to people. So that to me kind of bothered me because it was like, okay, a true introvert would never do half the things that Holden does. So is he really an introvert? But but he doesn't really... That he doesn't really do anything. No, he doesn't. She's saying he attempts to talk to a lot of these people and but, try but, and make but, some sort of connection and maybe an introvert, a real right, introvert would but Like talking that. to the cab driver, a real introvert would never even try to have or a conversation talking to the with different a stranger. Girls. The women well, at the table at the there bar. There is a reason behind it though. Like for example, the girls, uh, we find out later, he actually said it in the book that he was a virgin. So he was trying to act on on the girls and maybe and afterwards it showed that he he doesn't have the talent to speak to anyone and he basically pushed everyone away i think it's worth talking about his relationship to women real quick because the thing that actually sets off his journey to new york is uh, an incident with a woman that he's sort of idealized at his school, I say a woman. It's probably like another sixteen-year-old yeah, girl. Yeah, I think it is. But uh, <laughs> a classmate. Yeah, I, I forget I'm forgetting her, her name. name. I don't remember the name. Anyways, he's he doesn't really know this girl, but a lot of young guys 
are or young anybody are prone to do this, you know, especially with one of your first loves, you put them on a pedestal and they become sort of this mythical symbol of all these things you want them to be. And uh, of course he finds out this girl is, I guess, involved with a roommate or classmate of his yeah, that he Pensy. dislikes. I thought it was Stradladder. Strad oh, sorry. I think Pensy was the school he was at. My bad. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pensy University. But yeah, he um he finds out this girl that he's built up so much as this symbol of like femininity and purity is with a guy that he thinks is he's maybe phony. one of the worst phonies of all. <laughs> kind of like a jock guy. Yeah, and they get in a big fist fight, actually. He gets beat up pretty bad. Yeah, but the the illusion of that girl getting shattered for him is so upsetting to him that he goes on this quest to sort of reclaim the this sounds so dumb to reclaim the innocence of the youth <laughs> that he had had stored up in this girl, but now it's yeah. broken up. And he goes on to talk to a lot more women in the book, and mm-hmm. it never works out. I, I'd like to get back to his, uh, you know, obviously his idea of innocence and even his sexuality later. But before we move on, because I know we talked about the ducks, we talked about. Other things we need to talk about the the museum and his hat, and I know Nicola has some stuff about. Nicola that. loves the hat. I love the hat. <laughs> the people hunting hat, he calls it, right? Yeah, it made me it made me feel very comfortable whenever he was putting it on, and I think that was the point of uh, of for him too. But just to paint a picture, it's a red hunting, hunting cap hat. Yeah, that he wore on purpose backwards. And it has the flaps on the side too, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah those. Yeah. And if you look up Holden Caulfield on Google Images, you'll see a lot of cringy Tumblr <laughs> pictures of guys wearing that hat and uh, backwards and smoking a cigarette. And Well, every time he used that hat, he put on this hat. Someone gave this uh, hat to him, I think his mom or something. And No, he bought the hat. Remember, he gets the he hat because he loses his... Uh, so he plays fencing with the other boys and he loses all the team's equipment. And everybody's really upset with him. And so right after that happens, he goes and buys this hat because it makes him kind of... feels He feels comfortable. It's like something Even to kind of hide. He hates the hat. Yeah. He hates the hat. He, but... And, and specifically when it started raining and it was totally miserable. He felt miserable being outside and getting wet. Then he put the hat and there was a line he said, I don't, I don't care how I look at this point. He was so cold and so wet that he didn't care how he looked because he knew he looked funny with the hat on. Mm-hmm. But he put it on every time he was uncomfortable, every time he felt lonely, every time... Um, he missed someone, and I think that was another image that the writer was trying to, to give us. Basically like a little kid sucking his thumb when he's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, a blanket or something that they have. Or uh, David Foster Wallace's white bandana on his head. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you could, you could compare those two. So that's another thing, like the hat really... <sighs> It like set him apart from everyone else. Not only was he wearing this bright red hat, but he wore it backwards. I mean, that's already kind of someone wanting that. Yeah, like an attention grabber. I mean, probably people were thinking, why is he wearing it that way? And, you know, asking him about it. But, you know, again, why would an introvert do that? I don't get it, J.D. Salinger. What are you you trying to tell me? I don't think he's a real introvert. Yeah, I know. I think 
he was just I think he was just a confused teenager. Yeah. Well, I think the tension that's constant through the book and what keeps it kind of alive is the tension that uh, I guess everybody has this at one point that in between stage where you're not a kid but you're starting to learn more about the world and these uncomfortable truths and you know you have your identity as a kid has been broken up and you're trying to build an identity as an adult but you don't really know who you are and everything is scary all this input that's coming in and anytime you feel upset you go back to that image of yourself as a kid and everything being pure and innocent and you just hold on to that really tight but you're at the same time you're getting pulled towards all this new stuff like sexuality and people being mean and mm-hmm. you know having to get a job having to have a function in society and Holden is just kind of getting torn apart by that and i think the reason he goes back and talks to all these people and isn't a real introvert is he is still mainly motivated by connecting with people and wanting to grow into you know a real social person but he's just so bad at it yeah maybe because he cares about it more than most people i don't know or he has some sort of autism <laughs> i think you could also read it that way but well the same goes for the museum that you that you mentioned earlier just for the same reasons and he when he went to the museum uh he he said how much he liked the museum because nothing nothing really changed changes. yeah yeah that that was a brilliant little scene because it makes that idea real he's afraid of time progressing and things changing and everything in the museum he likes it just stays the way it is but of course you can't stay in a place like that your whole life you've got to keep growing and all this stuff i i'd like to go back to kind of his innocence and sexuality so it's it, he says it outright in the book it's not like it's implied or anything he says that he's most likely been molested 17 times yeah but he's also said that he's a virgin Yeah, but he said that his teacher, uh, Mr. Antolini, that this has happened before a lot to him because he goes and he spends the night at his house and he wakes up to uh, his teacher like rubbing his head and he Did gets scared. Did it happen scared many times? Yeah, he talks about it at the very it, beginning of the book that things like, well, no, I think actually when that happened, he said this had happened a lot of times before. Yeah, they he don't said about show 17 it times. in graphic detail. He just super casually drops in. This sort of thing has happened to me 17 times. So that could be something if you that's mean, true. You mean that what happened with uh, his teacher on the couch? Some sort of like sexual That's the thing. I guess it's kind of up to kid. you to decide what exactly happened. But he said this sort of thing. So I'd assume that he had been touched inappropriately well, by teachers. Let's give people the, um, the, the scene, how it happened. So maybe you remember it a little better than me, but... It's during his little journey, he meets up with um, Mr. Antolini, right? Yeah, he, he felt he comfortable. He wants to stay with him. Um, after, well, we're jumping around a little bit, but but after he went to his sister, he went to see his sister, which there are so many things we I want to, to talk about, um, but we're going to get to the sister. But after that, he went to see his sister, and um, 
he felt comfortable calling someone that he knows, mm-hmm. and that was this teacher. What's it his was name his, again? I think it was his English professor too, right? Or am I dreaming that? You mean the one from the beginning of the book? Oh no, no, the, the that was a different guy. Oh, okay, never mind. The old man. Yeah. yeah, he went to him to say goodbye to him. Yeah, yeah, and he didn't like his opinions. But anyway, so. So you went to his house and they had a drink and um, they had a cigarette and they were sitting there and he kind of, he was begging for the teacher to have him over to sleep over at, at the couch there. And when the teacher, he didn't say anything, but he was saying stuff like, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't really have anywhere to go and stuff like that. He was like, you can stay here. Uh, and he stayed there and he lay down, they fixed the couch, he laid there and a few hours later he woke up with uh, the teacher touching his head. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's what happened. And he got up, he ran away um, very fast. He gave him a cheap excuse why he has to run away. And um, that's when he said that many times happen yeah. i guess yeah clearly he's very uncomfortable with sex and he thinks very deeply about it. i mean compared to a typical 16 year old you know he's really thinking deep about it. i mean he even talks about he fantasizes like holding that one girl's hand and how special that is yeah well it makes sense if you look at him as a guy whose main motivation is to keep everything totally innocent and pure like yeah. when you're a kid the idea of sex is probably really threatening to him. Also, he's it sounds like he's been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. So that's probably messing up some of the stuff in there. But I, I discovered something very interesting about this book. So I don't know if I'm jumping too far in, but why is this book called Catcher in the Rye? You're probably wondering. <laughs> so the whole quote comes from a poem, which is a real poem. And Holden completely mishears the line. He thinks it says, if a body catch a body coming through the rye. And that's not what it says, actually. It says, if a body meet a body coming through the rye. And actually, the whole poem is about a boy and a girl. And a boy basically has sex with a girl in the rye and leaves her there. And she's like sitting there you know, with her loss of innocence. It's like their first time. And um, I think that's kind of interesting that he completely mishears the line where he deliberately changes it to fit what he wants. And even Phoebe, his sister, says that's not what, it actually doesn't even say that. But then Holden just continues where he thinks it, he's imagining it saying catch a body through the rye. And he's imagining that He's a guy and he's on a cliff with all these children and they're about to fall off a cliff and he's basically catching them before they fall. And that's not what it's about. It's completely the opposite. Um, So he thinks he's being cool with that line, but really you're not the hero. You're you're not going to be that way. You can't do that, even though it's a nice idea. Throughout the whole book, I couldn't figure out why it's called Katzen and Dry. And yes, Thorwood's I guess the the end. Um, he was talking to his sister, and I think they had a conversation of uh, what do you want to do in your life, kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, because you left university and all the stuff. And and he gave this. Uh, he yeah. said, "I want to um, cut the the kids and stuff mm-hmm. falling off." And which that's the only moment in the whole book that 
refers into the title and why yeah. it was called that. So that's that was kind of interesting. You could have named it anything else. I don't know why you decided just that. It's kind of a perfect title, though, because it sums up all the innocent stuff he's worried about, but it also shows you, like, he's just kind of a dumb teenager that misinterpreted the line from a <laughs> yeah, poem that's the and based thing. He his whole he's being identity so cool off of that. When it's completely the wrong thing. And even the poem itself, what it's really about, I thought was kind of interesting that J.D. Salinger picked that poem for Holden to mishear. Yeah. I mean, it, it encapsulates the whole story of the book. Yeah. The, if you think about the real poem in the mm-hmm. rye, you could read the whole book, I think, as, and sorry if this is kind of graphic, but like, you know, Holden getting his hymen sort of like popped <laughs> by the world. I know that's that's rough, but I it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's like a virgin becoming not a virgin through experience, like a rough, painful experience. It's just sad because although I like Holden's ideas and his innocence and wanting to keep that, most 16-year-olds are just not that way. You mean now? I mean now, but even back then, I, I feel like he's he's just a little too unique. Well, that's sort of where my beef for this book comes in. Even though it's amazingly written and everything deserves to be there in the book, uh, Salinger definitely noticed something about America back then. I think Holden is a reflection of this generation that he was seeing that was starting to get stuck in, you know, that idea of wanting to be a kid. Mm -hmm. Of course, people coming out of World War II weren't like that. But the generations after that, like the 60s and on, you saw this regression of, you know, 20, your 20s or your 30s now and you know, you can be a kid and shirk your responsibilities until way longer than you had to before. And what I think is problematic about the book is that it inspired a whole cult of people around that idea of remaining as a kid, remaining innocent, and that kind of turned into maybe the hippie generation, you know? Yeah. And Rafi's going to explain why that idea can be kind of dangerous if people hold on to it too tight. Yeah, so something interesting about this book, you'd think that when it comes to um, people that commit murder, that they would be inspired by something a little more serious and dramatic. But uh, people were inspired by Catcher in the Rye to uh, do murder. Um, John Lennon's murderer, his name was Mark David Chapman. Uh, he was actually found with a copy of the book that he had purchased the same day, and he actually signed the book himself, and he signed it as Holden Caulfield. So on the inside of the book, they found it and said, to Holden Caulfield, from Holden Caulfield, this is my statement. Which is just, it's eerie. Um, The person that tried to uh, do an assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan, John Hinckley Jr., was actually really inspired by this book, and then it also inspired another murder um i'm not sure who these people are robert john bardo murdered rebecca schaefer he also contributed he was associated with this book so 
Um, and it has kind of a dark side to it. It does. Which is, it's so interesting too, because like we said, Holden is such a passive character and he really wants good things for everybody. But he would never harm anyone. And you can see that from yeah. the beginning with his friend when they were fighting and he was ready to uh, give a, a good punch to him. But then he was thinking in, in his brain that, oh, this is my bad, bad hand because he broke it or something before and he was afraid about his hand. So he was like, well, that's why I chose not to, I guess. <laughs> so, And yeah. the irony is that the people that did these crimes and were so into this book, I think totally missed the meaning of the book is, you know, I mean, we'll talk about the carousel scene a little bit later, but, you know, this whole book is showing the bad effects of staying in this zone where you're regressing into a kid and trying to cling to innocence, even though you're growing up, regardless of how you feel. And by the end, I think Holden kind of moves out of that, actually. It's right at the last scene. But uh, the people that, you know, get so into this book, the Tumblr kids, the, <laughs> like, hipster kids, and even, like, these murdering people... I think they got stuck in the regressive part of Holden's psychology, which, as the book shows you, is is a dangerous thing. It leads to tons of dysfunction. I I didn't know anything when I was reading the book, um, any of this stuff. And when I found out how bad of an influence was for some people, it actually surprised me. But at the same time, yes, yeah, it, it does make a lot sense. Of kids. It does make sense if you're a little bit cuckoo uh, to take it the wrong way, and yeah, it, it's and it's also more dramatic, you know. When I, when you kill someone, you saw a book. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's and like, that's that's sad for Salinger because again, the the people that read the book that way totally misinterpreted it. They're uh, they read Holden being the way he is, talking the way he talks, and smoking his cigarettes and saying phonies and people dramatize that for some reason like how you know alcoholism or something drugs gets dramatized and kids see that in movies and they think oh that's cool and yeah they don't really get the whole scope of the picture but i don't know if i can blame salinger for that no no absolutely not i think he this book helped to cement that idea that um man-child idea that has persisted and gotten even worse i think in america at least to now i mean now people act this way until they're like in their 40s and then even until they die you know never really growing up i would like to ask you a question do you think actually uh this book deserves all the um popularity and and you know one of the best classics out there uh the name that carries throughout the years me or Rafi? Both of you. My my answer, I do. I do. But I would like to, to I, hear. I think it's a great classic novel. Um, you know, it, it has a nice message in there. But in my opinion, it's very um, fantasy. I mean, it's just not reality. And I don't know. I personally did not connect. Now looking back at Holden, I don't connect with him. I want to tell him to grow up. You know, because I, you grew up. I grew up, and now I'm like Holden, honey. Woman. It 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 don't get any better. But 
as a kid reading it, I mean, I thought it was like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, Holden, you're so cool. So I don't know. I personally, like I said at the beginning of the episode, the Bulldogs Roman, there are other characters that I think deserve more attention and notoriety that didn't a more real uh real life stuff happening this was just a little too not real enough so you think it's overrated i personally think it is overrated but i think everybody should read it it is a classic it's like you know adventures of huckleberry finn or you know what's another famous uh, kid book that we read growing up it's one of those books that everybody has to read oh the lord of the flies Lord of the Flies, just some, you know, it's a classic. My specs. My specs. My specs. Anyway. <laughs> I think, I agree with you, Nicole. It it does deserve it. And, you know, I already said all my complaints, you know, the social implications of this book. But if you just look at it from a writing perspective, this book does a lot of really cool stuff stylistically. I mean, my my favorite thing that it pulls off is... It breaks one of the number one rules of creative writing, which is don't use the passive voice. You know, use active verbs and clear nouns at the beginning. But the whole book is so passive that that you start to feel this this distance that Holden feels between things. And I, I hadn't read a book that had pulled off that sort of thing before. Also, just his inner monologuing, it had this balance of being like funny. And, it was funny. And sad and super realistic at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Like the little things that he would notice, like the ducks and stuff, it almost reminded me of like Larry David or something, like the stuff he notices. But, um, and then when you realize what a kind of guy Salinger was, when you see Holden's thoughts and his personality, you realize this is this whole thing, this character is a piece of art that was like really carefully created outside of this guy. Like nothing about Holden was on accident. Yeah. Yeah, I think think it shows the talent. Yeah, it was a very carefully, meticulously crafted piece of writing, I think, that stands on its own. It's just complicated. Like, you know, you want to separate the art from the artist, but sometimes, you know, with a book like this, the book becomes a bigger thing than itself it becomes a cultural phenomenon and then it gets harder to evaluate it but i would say just to go back to the book itself yeah it's it's very impressive it deserves to be a classic yeah i just i wish jd salinger let colden just let him suffer a little bit and then let him have all these complaints he just had no room to complain especially when salinger was a guy who clearly went through some real stuff you know he can complain i mean i kind of wish he had holden maybe a little bit older maybe fought in the war and then you know trying to go to school or something like that i think that that would have been been too melodramatic you think so and that was another thing i liked about what he pulled off with the writing is i mean the story does get melodramatic just with holden's thoughts but it is very neutral about everything at the same time. Like it doesn't, everything is subtle. It doesn't blow anything up too big. Yeah. Like the even the climax of the book, like the carousel, you could just glaze over that scene and just think, oh, he's taking his sister Phoebe on a carousel. But 
I've noticed a pattern in the last few books we've gone over. There's this character archetype. Rafi's talked about it. I don't know if I even pronounce it right, but it's a German word. I don't know the word. I think it's Bildungsroman. And what that is basically is a kind of grumpy kid that's coming of age in a rough story. And we've definitely had that with uh, Bukowski and Ham on Rye with uh, Clay, maybe a little differently, in Less Than Zero, and now Holden, who's sort of set the mold for that type of character. And I think it, it'd just be interesting to discuss what you think the similarities and differences between them are. Well, for one, I wonder if uh, Bukowski wrote Ham on Rye as a little play on words for Catcher in the Rye. I, I saw some people... Talk Some people about that say as that. a possible theory for the titles. He's it would make sense because they're such different characters. They have the same, I guess, like overall theme, but Bukowski definitely grows up and deals with a lot more stuff than Holden. He truly suffers. He, he really has, has some problems. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got real problems to deal with. Um, and even he grows <laughs> up really innocent at first, and he's just destroyed by by society. Um, I was thinking if you read Catcher on the in the Rye, and then you read Ham on Rye right after that, which is what we did. <laughs> yeah, Ham on Rye could almost seem like a satire of Catcher in the Rye with how brutal and realistic it is compared to Catcher in the Rye. And it's an actually vulgar book. <laughs> yeah, it's. A, I mean, compared to this, I mean, Holden goes through some uncomfortable stuff and some sad things, but I think Bukowski deals with more in like the first week of being like a four-year-old kid. Than... Well, Holden doesn't really go through anything. Yeah. Like not... deep, deep, like, let's, get, let's go really deep into it. He doesn't really. He doesn't really have any problems. He he makes the problems like he left from the school. Yeah, like Bukowski is getting like beat and pretty yeah, much tortured yeah. mentally. No, Holland comes from a, a family four. that uh, has a lot, um, worth a lot. Uh, his mom works hard to uh, support her lifestyle. I would say he mentions how much uh, she likes to dress up and everything so so it shows that he really doesn't have any problem like his family doesn't really have any problems it's like uh, it's almost like a normal kind of family mm-hmm. where uh, Bukowski on the other hand is not really a normal family yeah Bukowski is forced to go through the same amount of growth that Holden goes through in this entire book in <laughs> pretty much the first chapter of Ham on Rye when he's getting you know beat and assaulted and so it, it it that's what I was saying. It makes Catcher in the Rye seem kind of comical, almost in contrast. But they both characters are that same kind of, you know, innocent, good-natured mm-hmm. boy trying to come to terms with things and being a little cynical. And I don't maybe Ham on Rye wouldn't even exist unless Catcher in the Rye had paved yeah. the way for that. And then there's Clay <laughs> to deal with. Who uh, he's also a boy coming of age. Yeah, he's unhappy with things. You get the sense that there's more going on to him than meets the eye. Except he chooses to do absolutely nothing, and uh, he—I don't think he's the type of person that would wonder where the ducks went. Or... No, he was pushing himself further down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> by I mean, choice. Yeah, he, I mean, he has the one moment 
where you think he's going to do something where he's at the house and watching uh a minor get um, basically raped and he does question it. He says something and how wrong it is. And you think, okay, well he's going to do something. And then, you know, he just leaves. Yeah. I think so, Holden would have spent a whole nother book worrying just about that. Yeah. Bukowski, Holden would have checked himself into the mental hospital right after that. Yeah. Bukowski would have maybe tried to fight the guy or just do nothing and like burp and write a poem about it. <laughs> but Clay actually, I think kind of likes it. So, Again, if you read these books in a progression, Catcher in the Rye, Ham on Rye, and then Less Than Zero, each seems like they're going in the same tradition and kind of almost making fun of the last one. Yeah. Like, it's getting worse and worse. But I don't, Do you think there'll be another Bildens Roman that does something with that character? I don't know what you can do like, anymore with that. I don't know. It. I mean, I'm sure we're going to do another book that, you know, will have a character like that. But... I think we should try and and I think our next book will not be a we need a we need to lay off the the buildings yeah, the, Romans the unhappy <laughs> white people yeah. but yeah I maybe there's nowhere left to go with that because I think Clay kind of killed that character he's post Bildens Roman Ooh. maybe you would say one might say <laughs> very different writers from their backgrounds. Different generations. Different sure. generations and also very different uh, writing style and different uh, characters that they built through the, their books. Yeah. Also, each of those books, if you look at them chronologically, gets more neutral with the writing. There's like less feeling in it. Yeah. 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 So maybe we'll get the next one will just be like, I don't know, an inanimate <laughs> object. The next one probably will be phony. In my opinion. <laughs> a true phony. Well, in terms of the writers, obviously we had very different people who wrote these books. Salinger was quite a character. Like I mentioned in the beginning, he checked himself into a mental hospital when he uh, came home from World War II. But when the book came out, he really didn't like the idea of being famous. He he thought it was phony. He thought it was phony. Um, he didn't like his picture in the book. He hated seeing his picture. So he actually asked all the copies moving forward, take his picture out where they usually have the little author bio. He was a total recluse. He lived alone. He had a, he had a daughter. He had many wives many girlfriends that were all very young they were all in their 20s while Just he was like for a youth and innocence. while he was in his 50s and 60s <laughs> he so. was probably researching for his <laughs> books <laughs> yeah. i know i thought that was just something else apparently his daughter in a memoir said that he spoke in tongues which is already very creepy and he liked to drink his own urine cuz he believed it had health benefits even though there is no research about that being beneficial so he would like that show man versus wild <laughs> yeah yeah also something i've read is um he was like you said with the picture thing he was very uptight about the rights to this story in particular and he didn't want this made into a movie at all and he said if it were going to be made into a movie only he could play holden but Even he was like too old yeah he was way too old to play him so it literally made no sense there were a lot of companies that, that approached that him to, to make uh, mm -hmm. the movie but uh it didn't meet his requirements so yeah this story has been really coveted by hollywood ever since he wrote it i've read i don't remember if it was james franco or 
Joaquin Phoenix, some actor like that, really wanted to make this movie. I'm, and I'm curious. And I wonder it, if nobody would nobody would allow I it. I wonder still if it estate. will become a movie. Well, I know day. I know that on 2010 he died mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, since then they made uh, a movie not for the cancer uh, cancer and the eye, but for him. I am myopic about Salinger. Yeah, I'm I'm forgetting the title, which I would love to watch. I think it's just called Salinger. It's on HBO. He also Uh, appeared um, as a character. He was playing himself. It wasn't him, obviously. He's dead. (laughs) But he was in Bojack Horseman. He was, and he had his own game show. Which is totally not what he would do, because that's totally Well, no, but it was a game show that was... It was a game show on the surface, but it was meant to like bring out the deepest problems of the contestants' humanity or something like that. Yeah, it was like, like who are these celebrities and what are they thinking about or something? I don't know. I need to find the title. Yeah, but he would like force the celebrities to confront their worst problems and mm-hmm. like relish in their, their pain. And So he's still definitely a relevant character in the culture. Yeah. And the story, of course, grew even bigger than him. But yeah, he did drink his own pee. So <laughs> do with that information what that, you will. Make your own judgment there. Well, just to tie it all together, I think we should end on the note of uh if if you have a copy of Catcher in the Rye, you see the little carousel in the front. So we'll talk about the carousel and what that meant and what we thought it meant to us. Maybe you have a different interpretation. I think this is the only scene where you see any growth mm-hmm. in Holden's character at all, because just to set some context, he's with his sister, his little sister, Phoebe. Who's a lot more grown up than he is. Yeah, she's a lot more younger. realistic. And maybe that's just because she's a girl and girls mature quickly. <laughs> but at, at this point, sorry, uh, I should say how much he loved his sister. Yeah, I, I was going to mention. Important, yeah. I think after... Um, the girl he kind of has a crush on at the beginning after he loses his kind of vision of her as the you know pure girl innocent girl i think he sort of transfers that to phoebe his sister yeah and what was significant to me about the the carousel scene is so he's got phoebe and he's putting her on a carousel and she's going around and around and she's trying to grab a ring or something she's isn't she trying to she's grab trying something? to hold on she's trying to hold on to it it's raining um he's watching from far away he's on a bench and he's smoking a cigarette and he sees how happy she is yeah so i think the the carousel this is going to sound kind of highfalutin but is pregnant with allegorical significance it's Ooh. it's uh he's been so he, think about it he's a guy that's been stuck this whole time and wanting to go looking for answers, yeah, backwards in time or stay in the same place in time. And this carousel is spinning around and around, and it's all these colors and sensory things. And he sees this his symbol of innocence, Phoebe, is on this carousel spinning around and around, and she's enjoying it, and she seems alive. And he, if you notice the prose around this scene, he goes out of his way to say how beautiful it was. I wish you could have been there. It's the first time we see him. He feels so damn happy. It's the first time he feels happy. Yeah. And to me, that was him acknowledging on some level, like, okay, I kind of get it. Like things continue to spin on and 
you know, everything is going to be okay. And maybe that was Holden moving past his blockage. They made it to Carousel because um, Holden wanted to leave. And he sent uh, a letter. No, he, he dropped off a letter to his sister to meet him and get his stuff all together so he can leave. And she asked him not to go. And that's when they started going to the museum and then they went to the carousel. But on the carousel, if you notice, if I remember correctly, he took his hat off and he put it on Phoebe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's passing. Once again. His yeah. old self, he's like shedding his skin. And he feels more comfortable, <laughs> I, I would say, to take it off and give it to his sister. Yeah, the whole now he's there. mood and tone shifted for me at that scene. And you know how much I like my books that I read to finish in a good note? It I, did. It ended in a good note. Like less than zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's important is you get the sense that some resolution has happened in his character. I think he finally yeah, at that point. figures out the relationship between innocence and adulthood that like a carousel going round and round, you can revisit your childhood and, and you know, you don't have to completely give up your innocence, but you can revisit it. It's a it's not a linear thing. It's a circular thing. You can still keep it close to you yeah. as much as you can. But it shouldn't be your whole life. You can't be Peter Pan and never grow up. Peter Pan is the perfect analogy for Holden, I think. Yeah, he is Peter Pan. (laughs) He moves from Neverland to the real world. Well, don't be a phony is uh, (laughs) the moral of the story. Well, thank you for listening. I will catch you on the next one. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, don't be a phony and follow us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And remember, if a book is banned, it's worth reading. 